Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Uh, my name is David, and if I don't know you, I am uh, the pastor here. I have the great privilege of being the pastor here at Redeemer. And uh, I want to open up with some uh, actually really wonderful news. Um, and I think many of you know, but just in case some of you don't, I want everybody to know this. Uh, on Thursday, uh, we finalized some signatures on a very, very important piece of paper that makes us the owners of this property here to our west. We now own that property. It belongs to Redeemer. And after a year of prayer and deliberation, uh, it's ours. And we're thanking God for it. Yeah, and um, on uh, Saturday, uh, yesterday morning, a group of us came out and actually prayed over that property. We thank God for it. We ask God uh, to, to be glorified in it, that, that as this community grows here in Manville um, and it, it's growing, uh, that we could be a big part of that and helping uh, people to know Jesus, to, to become discipled, to have a community of faith, to, uh, to, just, to just be the church in this place that God has put us. And man, this is an absolutely huge step and we are so thankful for it. Um, and uh, and if, if you missed uh, Saturday, at the end of it, um, we kind of had these little vials, and uh, folks took some sand that we had over there, and they filled them up, and they committed to just kind of pray for the future of what's going on. And if you want one of these vials, uh, we still have them in the back in a basket over there. You can get it. And let me also uh, give you this option at any point now, since we own it, you're welcome to go over there and run around and frolic around uh, with, with other animals that are over there. And I do that. I, I had a great time. And it's fun. There's a lot of interesting things. Uh, and so it's ours. And we're thanking God and really excited about that. Okay, uh, today is the beginning of uh, December. It is the first Sunday in the church calendar of what we call Advent. And, um, and we're kicking off a series through, through the Christmas season called Carols, um, as in Christmas carols. And what we're going to do is some messages that are inspired by some of our favorite uh, Christmas carols, like um, Frosty the Snowman and Santa Baby. I'm kidding. Um, uh, Jesus-centered, uh, Jesus-inspired Christmas carols. And you know, there really are some carols. The, the church has always sung songs of Christmas, but, um, but there are some that, that we have really grabbed a hold of uh, in the last couple of centuries that we really appreciate, and, and ones that carry tremendous theology, that are rich, that help us to see the, the marvel and the mystery of the incarnation, that help us to look forward to the hope that we have, um, that we remember is coming in Jesus uh, this season, and, uh, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to kick it off today by um, just thinking about offering a, a short reflection on O Come, All Ye Faithful, that I'll do at the end of the message, and then really kind of uh, studying a passage from 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, if, you, if you brought your Bible, awesome. Now is the time you can open up to 1 Corinthians 13. If you didn't, highly recommend you grabbing that Bible in the back of your chair and following along. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and read it in a moment, but as we always do before we open God's Word, let's bow our heads and pray and ready our hearts and minds to hear. Uh, Lord Jesus, we are... Um, we're here, and we are uh, thankful for the, the energy and the, just the difference that we start to feel this time of year, the, that, that little budding of hope 
that 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 comes into our lives that that came from that incredible birthing of hope that happened when when you became flesh and blood and dwelt among us when when Christ was born and Lord I just pray as we ready our our hearts and minds for this season um you'd speak to us today um in in the exact moment that we are in uh in the, the very place that each one of us individually are in, that we would have hearts that would be soft to hear, minds that would be ready to listen, Lord, and that you would be at work in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Jesus, you are our rock, and Jesus, you are our redeemer, and it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, First uh, Corinthians 13 and... Let me get there. I should know that it's after Romans. I'm a pastor. Okay. Um, all right. First uh, Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. All right, so some of you um, might be wondering, as I read that passage, how we went from Christmas and Christmas carols here uh, Sunday morning to a wedding, because uh, this, is a, this is the wedding passage. This is a very familiar passage at wedding that many folks choose to be read at their weddings. I bet many of you probably had read at your weddings. It was read, uh, I believe, at a royal wedding this last year uh, between an American actress and a red-headed Brit, right? This is, this is the love passage. And, 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 and the reason it's, it's, it's the, the wedding passage is because it's just an absolutely beautiful, it's even a poetic writing scripture where Paul is teaching about love. And weddings are about love, or at least they're supposed to be about love. And this passage describes the kind of love that husbands and wives hope to give to one another 
commit to give to one another when they become, uh, when they make this covenant uh, of Christian marriage to one another and become one flesh. That, that's why we read this passage. So why are we reading it today? Well, uh, I hope I'm not bursting anyone's bubble here this morning, but believe it or not, Paul didn't write this scripture for your wedding. Um, it would have been nice of him if he, if he had, uh, and he, he may have had something like that in mind, and it's absolutely wonderful that it was read at your wedding, but it wasn't his original intent. Paul wrote this scripture first to a church, and, um, and particularly, he wrote this chapter because this was a church that needed some lessons on love. They were not loving very well, and, and there are really some aspects that he said to them then that I think are really uh, especially relevant and helpful for us today in the present cultural moment that we as a church, that Christians find themselves in. So I just want to unpack uh, two major points out of the scripture, um, and then I'm going to tie it together. Um, so here's, here's the first thing that, we're, that, that, that I see in this passage uh, that's a reflection I want to offer. Christian people sometimes struggle to love well. Christian people sometimes struggle, they don't do such a great job loving very well. Really? No? Us? Uh, I hope you hear the sarcasm in my voice. Absolutely. And, and, and actually, this is really, like I said, the, the reason Paul probably wrote this entire passage is because people were, were not doing so well at love. Um, he uh, planted a church in Corinth, and this was a, a church uh, in, a, in a place where God had actually done a lot of incredible work in a lot of people's lives. And, and we see that in these two letters that he writes to that church. But it was also a place, um, to put it uh, nicely diplomatically, uh, where there were a whole lot of people who, who needed to do some maturing and being more like Jesus, right? They were very early on in their faith. Uh, you might have heard this saying, um, the church isn't a huddle for the holy, but a hospital for a sick. Uh, there is no doubt the church in Corinth was, a, was more of a hospital than a huddle. And we see that when, when we read the letter. Actually, uh, based on what we see in these two letters, uh, the church in Corinth is rather infamous in the entire New Testament of probably being the most messed up dysfunctional church in the, entire, in the entire early church together. Uh, and, and let me say, while that may not be a badge of honor that, that they wore, um, I think it also, just stepping back, it's a really beautiful thing to read, read the New Testament and see uh, an early church that's kind of struggling in a lot of ways, right? Um, uh, I, I think that, that, that's, that, that, that phrase is true. The church really ought to be, uh, in, in many ways, a hospital for a sick, for, for the sick, if, if we have people who, who, put, who, who trust in Jesus and have been living a life where they've been making choices and decisions without Jesus and then suddenly uh, decide to then follow Jesus, that means as they become a part of the church and are transformed, there's going to be some messiness in that. We're going to need to have some grace for one another. And, uh, and, and all of us really are still on a journey where we're growing in faith and we're imperfect people. That's, that's what the church is. And we don't need to hide that or pretend that it isn't true. Um, and I am actually kind of proud uh, that, that when we started this church two years ago, we uh, have been real enough to be unashamedly imperfect people, right? Uh, we are 
um, committed to being real and honest in that way. And, uh, and, and that's who we are. I think it's also wonderful that we are unashamedly committed to being changed by a perfect God. Um, and, and, and that means, uh, like Paul is urging them in this letter, that, that all of us uh, are committed to growing in our faith that we recognize that we have somewhere to go uh, to be more like Jesus. And, and one of the defining markers of that place where we go, of that growth in our lives, is love. And that, that's what Paul is honing in on here for the church in Corinth. He wants them to understand that part of their following Jesus means an increase in love in their lives, an understanding a fundamental essentiality of love in their lives, and, and that is really the thing he's trying to help them see in the, in the first of the three parts of this passage. Let me just read it again so you can hear that as he tried to reframe uh, their activity and their actions and show them the basis of love in all of it. Here it is. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can even move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So in these verses, Paul is kind of like stacking up these, these, these things that Christians do, actually things that the Corinthians were, were probably doing, and, and incredible things, things that, that could have been acts of great faith. But then he says, if you're doing these things without love at the heart of them, right, uh, it's probably, it isn't to any real advantage. It's not going to gain anything. He says in verse 1, something as incredible as this gift of speaking in a foreign language or having tremendous eloquence when you speak, if, uh, if you don't do it with a heart of love, it's going to sound like nothing but, you know, uh, a loud, annoying sound, right? It's going to be not pleasant in people's ears. Verse 2, he starts listing some of these other spiritual gifts that, that, the, Corinthians church, that the Corinthian church had, actually, and that he, he's just talked about in the chapter before. Um, and he says, if you start using these gifts of, of, of prophecy and knowledge and wisdom, but you don't do them, with the heart of love, if you're not thinking in a loving way and caring with a, with a heart of, of self-giving love for other people, it's going to gain nothing, right? In verse 3, he says, if you even take one of Jesus's commands to its literal extreme end, you sell everything you have and you give it away to the poor, right? That act of which people would look at and say, wow, look at that faith. If your heart isn't right in that action, uh, you do it without love, it, it's not any good at all, right? It's, it's really an incredible thing that he's saying, but, but he, he's just trying to make his point so clear. Everything that we do as Christians has to be done out of a heart of love. Love is essential, love is necessary, and, and, and it's got to be there. And if it's not there, and this is the part that really emerged um, for me uh, when I thought about this passage and what I was going to share today, is that if we don't have the heart of love, the way people are going to feel it is, 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 is a, a clanging cymbal or a resounding gong. It's not going to be pleasant. Um, and the reason that comes to mind here is because something I am just becoming more and more acutely aware of 
is that uh, we live in a cultural moment when a lot of people look at the Christian church and, and are hearing nothing more than a clanging cymbal or a resounding gong. Uh, we, we have a lot of activity and things that we do, but when they, they hear us and they see uh, some, of the, some of the ways the Christian church is speaking and acting in the world, they're not feeling the love, right? Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, people, people are, are telling us this. They're saying it. We're not feeling the love from the church. A couple weeks ago, um, you know, I shared a, a quote that someone shared with me um, that, that has stuck with me ever since that said, there is no hate quite like Christian love. You know, do, do anybody remember that? It's such a strong statement, but, but it stings, you know? And, and it is the real experience that some people are saying they're having. Uh, and, and, and that's anecdotal. Let me tell you, there's also research that's telling people, uh, telling us that folks are not feeling the love. Uh, last week, I read a study, a really interesting study, done by uh, a group called Barna that does uh, good research um, in uh, about tracking some of the things in our culture and the intersections of faith today. And they did a study asking the question, uh, Christians, are they more like Jesus or like Pharisees? Right, and they actually put together a study to try to to try to measure this. Uh, they created a survey that Christian people filled out, and and they identified ten biblical actions and attitudes of Jesus, and then ten biblical actions and attitudes of the Pharisees in the Bible. Right, and they put them together in a survey and said, "Fill it out. Who are you more like?" And uh, and what they discovered as as people filled this out is that Christians are very much a mixed bag of actions and attitudes that are like Jesus, but also a lot of actions and attitudes that are like Pharisees. And if you don't know who the Pharisees are, they are not the people you want to be in the Bible. Some of us grew, grew up singing a song, I don't want to be a Pharisee. Um, and so uh, uh, they actually discovered that 51% of people who identify as Christians uh, actually have attitudes that, that are a little bit more like Pharisees than they are like Jesus, right? And, and while that's a really interesting data point and whatever we do with it, uh, at the very least, we've got to recognize is that if, if that's how we are self-identifying, uh, the way that people are going to feel that is they're not going to be feeling the love. Like, they're not going to appreciate those kind of attitudes and behaviors in us, and we we better be listening. Here's here's another quick example. I read a few a book a few years ago called Unchristian, um, and uh, and the subheading of that book uh, it's small up there, but it says what a new generation really thinks about Christianity and why it matters. And uh, this this was a research based book that studied how people in the age range of 16 to 29 who did not identify uh, as Christians, viewed Christian people. And, and, and they, they, they had conversations with them, and they were able to bring out uh, commonalities and things that these folks identified, characteristics. And this is a quote summarizing their major findings of how the majority of young people in this age feel about Christians. Most people in this, in this demographic assume that Christian means very conservative, entrenched in their thinking, anti-gay, anti-choice, angry, violent, illogical empire builders. They want to convert everyone, and they generally cannot live peacefully with anyone who doesn't believe what they believe. Right? 
geez, that's another quote that um, that stings. And uh, is it all accurate? Um, I actually don't think it is. Um, is it how everybody feels? No, it's just a majority of people in that age demographic. Is it fair? Uh, probably not totally. I, d- I don't think that it is. But friends, here's what I think we've got to, to come to grips with. It's the reality. That is how a lot of people are saying they, they think and feel about Christian people. And, and it, it's just the reality is more and more people are not feeling the love from Christians. And, and, and we really need, I think now especially, to hear again this passage from 1 Corinthians 13, not just at a wedding, but in, in the way that it directs and can correct our actions to, to really think about how we show love and are loving and how love drives who we are and what we do, right? Um, uh, here's the second thing I want to draw out of the passage. God-shaped love is the most beautiful and enduring mark of mature Christianity. God-shaped love is the most beautiful and enduring mark of mature Christianity. Uh, this is really where Paul takes us. There's two points that it's enduring and it's mature. And it's kind of where Paul takes us in the second two segments of this passage in 1 Corinthians 13. You know, he helps us see that love has to be at the heart of everything that we do. And then in, in, in verses 4 through 7, Paul paints a picture of what that love ought to, should look like. And um, it's really important to, to, to recognize something that we can't see in the English, uh, but I've talked about extensively here uh, before, is that that word that he uses for love, when he says love is patient, love is kind, love uh, is not self-seeking, it's not the word for love that we would use in English. It's a Greek word called agape, which is a word that is supposed to bring to mind uh, not a human love, but a, almost a godly love like the kind of love that God has for us. And so the ideas that come across with this kind of love, or it's, this is a self-sacrificing love. This is an unconditional love. It goes beyond being fond of something. Uh, uh, it's, it's even more than, than a friendship love that we have. It's, it's much more than romantic love. It's a love that is actually based more in a commitment of the will and the mind, which says, I choose to love you, which uh, to many folks surprised who have lived into this kind of love actually brings the friendship and the romantic love with it. But, uh, but Paul is really trying to help these Corinthians get, get to understand that this is the kind of love that God has for you. And as it works in your life, as it works through your life, it's the kind of love that you're going to be showing other people to, the kind of love that people feel that actually speaks into each other and others' lives, right? And so he goes on to describe aspects of this love that they have. Uh, Agape love is patient. God's love for us is kind. Uh, This kind of love does not envy. It does not boast. God's love is not proud. It does not dishonor others. God's love is not self-seeking. God's love is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. God's love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects. God's love always trusts. Agape love always hopes. Agape love always perveres. God's love never fails. Right? And that's a beautiful kind of love. Um, it's absolutely beautiful. And I don't really have time to to parse each of those pieces out this morning. But um, 
let me just ask a quick question. Isn't, when you, when you hear that, when you think about the way love is described there, isn't that the kind of love that you want to receive uh, in your life, right? Um, verses four through seven, a patient love, a kind love, one that's not self-seeking, one that doesn't keep record of your wrongs. Don't you want more of that kind of love in your life? I love it when my wife, Shannon, loves me in that kind of way, right? It is life-giving for me. I have loved it so much when my parents chose not to keep a record of my many, 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 many wrongs, right? Um, uh, even though sometimes they needed to, right? Um, but, but they showed me a love that, that, that enabled me to move forward. And man, uh, to have people who show you this kind of love in your life, it, it just, it, it makes all the difference. To have a couple friends who love you in the First Corinthians 4 through 7 way, you need that in your life. Uh, to just have one friend who loves you in that way uh, can make such a difference. And then to, 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 to have experienced that love and then to show it to others, right? This is the way that we ought to love as well. Um, and and I, I am certain if we were to love people and it looked like that, like what Paul describes there, that would change some of the perceptions that people have of Christian faith. People would be more open to the gospel and I know because I've seen it happen. I've seen lives change because of love. Here's the other aspect of what Paul says here and really where he finishes up the chapter. You know, actually, I didn't read this, but uh, and it's weird how the Bible verses break out. But before any of that that we read, Paul says, and I will show you a more excellent way, right? I'm going to show you the way that that is the, the, the more excellent, the one that endures. And then at the end, he kind of talks about how these things will fade away, but what remains? Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And so what he's trying to do is help us see that, that what is most enduring in, in Christian faith and the way that God works and forms us is, is this kind of love, this four, verses four through seven love. That's the thing that kind of comes out and shows up in our lives as we mature in faith, as we come to walk with, with, with Jesus. And, uh, and, 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 and what I want to tell you is if you are following God, if you are opening your life to experience God's love and, 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 and letting Jesus in and walking with God, uh, I think you're going to be more like verses 4 through 7. That love is going to make you more patient and more kind. God is going to make you aware of your pride and then work on it, right? God is going to help you from being self-seeking. You're going to be slower to anger. You're going to rejoice in the truth. Hope will grow. Love will be there in increased amounts in your life. And people will be able to see it and they'll experience it in their interactions with you. And conversely, I think it's a really helpful exercise to also then say, if after a year, or three years, or five years, um, you are doing the activities of Christian faith, but those things that, that we see Paul identify here are not increasing in your life, maybe we need to open up to Jesus in a way because that, that ability to work in us isn't there. We're, we're not growing in, in the enduring way that, that God says we do as followers of Jesus. And, and, and I'll tell you, I think God wants to do a whole lot more in your life that you're going to want God to do 
God wants to make your love grow, right? Okay? So those are the two, two things that, that are there. Let me, let me try to tie all this together. Um, what on earth does this have to do with, with Christmas and carols this morning? Um, you know, uh, I don't know if any of y'all live in neighborhoods where there are schools in them, but at the location that I live, uh, live in, in uh, Lakes of Savannah, we actually live uh, between three different schools and therefore three different school zones that we have to drive through in the morning and the afternoon, which is sometimes a bit of an inconvenience. But here's what's going to surprise you. Uh, if I go one particular route, it has been an absolute joy for me. A joy, right? You heard that right. And here, here's why. It's one of these fellows, actually. Uh, a, a crossing guard. That's not him. Uh, I didn't get a picture of him, uh, but, but he's, he's one of these guys. And, uh, and um, I, I've never met him. I don't know his name, of course. The day that I tried to go meet him, he, uh, he wasn't there that day. Um, but uh, there is a crossing guard at Lakes of Savannah who stands on Savannah Parkway who I think might be the friendliest, joyful, jolly, loving crossing guard in the entire world. I'm, I'm serious. Like, he's incredible. Um, and if any of y'all live in my neighborhood, uh, some of you guys might know exactly who I'm talking about. Uh, the, the other people that live uh, said, yep, we know exactly who you're talking about. This guy, the first time uh, I saw him, I immediately noticed how um, every, to every car that drives by, he always says hi to every single person. He'll nod, he'll wave his hand, and we're not just talking like one hand. Like, this guy does a double-handed wave <laughs> every, every morning to every single car. So it's just like, you know, all morning. He's just like, hey, hey. And it's like, it's like CrossFit waving, you know. Uh, it's, it, it blows me away because there are hundreds of cars that drive by in the morning and, and the afternoons. Um, and, 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 and I wonder why he's doing it. Well, here's what I actually think. I think he's actually genuinely happy to do what he's doing and say hi to people. Um, additionally, he's, he's pretty good at his job. Uh, he's a good crossing guard. He knows how to, and the way I would define that is he knows how to command the street and control children without being a jerk, um, uh, which, when you, which actually is a feat because that isn't always accomplished by crossing guards. Sometimes I guess it's just that, that reflective orange vest and a handheld stop sign it just goes to a person's head, right? They just like the power. Uh, sometimes, <laughs> one of my friends calls those people street Nazis. But, um, but this fellow, uh, he, he's able to just like uh, walk out into the street in a safe way, get the kids across, with enough speed, keep them safe, and then when you drive, when you drive by, when he's done, you know, it's just, it's just every, every single time. Uh, and then, you know, the other thing that I've noticed uh, is, is that um, he's just always laughing and happy. Like, when, when I go by him, a lot of the times he's joking with the kids that he's helping cross the street. Other times I've seen parents stopped there and talking to him, and he just brightens your day. He just shows love, and I just appreciate this fella who's just this big, jolly, loving crossing guard. In fact, it makes me this time of year wonder about his true identity. But um, anyways, the, the reason he comes to mind is that, you know, just thinking about how people who kind of drive by the Christian church or see the Christian church from a distance perceive us, I, I just wonder, like, how, how could we be more like him? How could people, you know, see Christians 
and say, man, those are, those are loving people. Man, those are happy people. Man, those are, are friendly, wonderful people. They're genuinely happy um, to see me. I, I mean, it, it makes me wonder, like, maybe there's a lot of lessons that we could learn just saying, how can we be more like this guy who's the crossing guard at Lakes of Savannah? How, how, could, how could we uh, exude joy? How could we show genuine hospitality to those that we interact with? How could we, in simple ways, show love to those around us? And um, there's probably a lot of answers to that question. But here's one that uh, came to many of our minds uh, recently um, that that I think is really relevant this time of year. It's this, caroling. Caroling. Christmas caroling. Caroling, right? Right? The simple act of singing some joyful songs to those in our neighborhood, to those who are in our communities, to carol, right? That, that's a way to show love. How, how many of you all went caroling as a kid? Yep, about the same as last time. It's about, actually, statistics say about half of people, a little less than half have gone caroling. It's actually like in the low 20s percent of folks today. It is uh, a little bit of a dying tradition um, and, uh, and you know, I actually did it as a kid and I have really fond memories of, of doing it, uh, in our neighborhood growing up. One of them is that I got to see my dad, uh, who never sang, come out of his shell a little bit and sing off key, right? I remember that. I remember, uh, standing there with my brothers, uh, freezing our tails off because Illinois is so cold, but it was all worth it because of the hot chocolate that mom gave us at the end. I, uh, I remember even at a young age kind of the awkwardness of the whole thing, you know, and how like sometimes <laughs> we would be walking down the street and I saw the lights turn off on a house, you know, like, what, what was that about, mom, you know? <laughs> I understand now. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I also, though, remember some people, like, begrudgingly opening the door, because there are still many Scrooges out there, uh, but also, like, you know, a little Christmas uh, carol story happening in their lives, like, them actually appreciating it and say thank you, and it opening some doors, and, uh, and, and so it just, it just made a group of us think, what if we went caroling this year, right? Like, why not revive an old, wonderful tradition um, and, 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 and show some love to people? Actually, at a time of year where research says people are more open to this kind of thing than they ever are um, this time of year. And, and so why don't, why don't we consider this? Let's try to be a blessing, uh, which, which leads me to, to tell you what you're probably expecting. Uh, I want you to go caroling with us. We're, uh, we're going to carol some love. We are making plans to do this uh, December 20th, 21st, 22nd. You, you caroling. You're going to become a young child from the 60s and sing songs with us in front of people's house and we'll bring fake snow. No, we're not going to. Um, but uh, but we're going to do this. We're going to organize. We're going to go into the community uh, and, and we're going to be a church that just sing some, some songs to share some love and to, to just sing some of the love that Jesus has born in our hearts to people in our community. And, and I'm just uh, excited about it. I think that it's just a really fun way for us to, to show some love this, this season, which leads me finally to the Christmas carol that we were supposed to talk about this morning, okay? Uh, look at how I creatively put this together. Okay, um, I'll Come All You Faithful is a carol 
we actually don't know too much of the story around. Um, we know a lot about many of them, not so much about this one. We know that it was actually a 19th century rewrite in English of an 18th century Latin hymn, uh, Latin tune. Um, and it was probably written by a guy named John Francis Wade because we have a 18th century document of the first four verses of it with his name on the bottom of it. But we're not sure. There are some competing uh, narratives for, for who, who wrote it and why. One of them, very interestingly, being uh, a king who supposedly wrote it for his daughter's wedding, uh, which I don't understand at all, because why would you sing this song at your daughter's wedding? He didn't know what his, what his daughter really wanted when she got married. But anyways, um, it, 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 when it was translated in the 19th century into English, that's when it took hold in the Christian church. That's when people really started to appreciate it, and it kind of anchored itself to the place where it's become today one of the most beloved carols uh, that we have. And, uh, and some of the folks who study music and Christian music uh, give us some of the reasons why, one, um, the song kind of takes us into the present moments of Christmas, right? We're kind of with the shepherds there in the field, and the angels show up and, and, uh, and, and invite us to then go to see the manger, right? We, we kind of go on this journey with them to Bethlehem. Oh, come let us adore him. Come and behold the king of angels. It's also uh, what people tell us is it's in the, the repeated chorus, which is kind of like a rally cry and an anthem of some of the joy and the hope and the love that we have at, at Christmas, right? Um, we'll praise his name forever. We'll give him all the glory and singing those lines, we get to just sing some of the incredible hope and joy and really love that God has poured out in, in our hearts. And that's what we sing. But today, uh, I'm just going to beckon you with the, uh, the very first line as I ask you to spread some love this, Christian, this Christmas season, right? When you come and, and sing carols, oh, come all you faithful, all you guys, the faithful, let's come and sing some carols. A little bit. Yeah, I told you it was creative. Um, <laughs> and uh, no, really, like, like that's what we're doing. We're going to gather together as some faithful, and we're going to go into the community and sing. And, and I'm really excited about it. Um, and in case you were on the fence and like, I don't, I don't know if I really want to do this, I think you might not be a great singer. We have some people, some wonderful people that put together a fantastic video to kind of inspire you to do it. Let me pray, and we'll go ahead and watch the video. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for all these people. I pray that, uh, that we can show some love as a church, uh, because you were love to us, and we're born love at Christmas. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, yeah, so I'll take Pearland, and okay, then you'll I'll take do Manville, Manville yeah. and we'll get a teams together right. and go caroling. Okay, yeah? that sounds great. Um, right, so now we just need to get people... Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. We don't need to hear anymore. That's perfect. Absolutely perfect. You'll be singing with us in parallel. Absolutely. You'll be singing with us one way or the other. Yeah. It's always yeah. been a dream of mine. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I didn't know we had to prepare an audition. What if I forget the words? I thought it was a group thing. Yeah. 
I don't want to get up there by myself. I hope I brought enough resumes. <clears throat> I think I'm going to be sick. I know, I made it. All she can be to escape from me. Okay, guys. Keep it real, okay? Yeah, let's go. Dashing through the snow on a one-horse open sleigh. Oh. Over the fields we go. Rapping all the way. <laughs> jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle bells rock. That was amazing, right, guys? Yeah. 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 Peace on earth. Sweet. <laughs> jingle bell, jingle bell, watermelon roll. Oh, what fun it is to ride to watermelon. Watermelon. We're not in Luling. This is Jingle this is bell, new. jingle bell, jingle okay. all the way. Watermelon, maybe, maybe, watermelon. Maybe we give her a, a lyric sheet. Oh, yeah, yeah, a lyric sheet. Good. I think. Yeah. Oh, oh, thanks, good, thanks. Good, good. Thank yeah, you. Thank, thank you. you. That was. Right, thank you. That was definitely Jingle Bells. Yeah. Ish. Right, jingle bells, jingle Aww. bells, jingle all the way. Yes. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey! Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle yes. all the way. She can do oh, it. what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> Good job. Good job, Nikki. Um, you live near me, so you'll probably be on the Silver Lake side. You can't have them all. I can. I can and I will. Oh, oh, you guys are violent. Mm. Kind of pretentious, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. I am wildly impressed by this. I just, I don't know. I'm not sure it's gonna play well in Manville. Uh, yeah, well, if he's on Fairland, it's fine. Dashing through the snow with a one horse open sleigh. Oh, the hills we go, laughing all the way. Maybe, um, can we just thank you? Thank you. <laughs> I think, I think that that was that, that was, was something definitely, that was... And, and Jesus appreciates it. Yeah, are you sure? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I played as Tiny Tim in the Christmas Carol two years ago, and I was um, the angel in the nativity last year, and I was really hoping for the Mary part this year. Okay, so, uh, All right. warm up really quick. Okay, I'm ready. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. Over the fields we go, laughing all the way. Bells on bell ring, making fruits bright. What fun it is to ride and sing a sleigh song tonight. Wow, you need to be on my team in Manville. No. Really, Pearland is where it's at. All, most people answer their doors there. They would love to hear you caroling. Pearland's where it's Manville. at. Manville. I'm gonna go yeah. with Kimberly. Yes! You ah! I'll be too late. No, I, I think we got time for one more. Yeah. Go ahead, come on. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. 